So, David, now I, tell me about the story of Westgate. We've gotten all I, the way up to all these big okay. transactions you've I done. I went and... This is the best part. I went to work for this member 68. It got wiped out. So immediately after, I started selling land on the phone. And then I got fired a month later. And then so in 60, in 69, or the end of 68 or 69, I went to work selling. This was called Westfield, Westfield, for a company called Land and Leisure. And I, so uh, they, they made me their broker in Orlando. I took the job. So I moved to Orlando January of 1970 with no money, two wives and six children. An ex-wife and a current wife. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not married to both at <laughs> the same time, but I'm, I'm supporting them. Yeah. And we come to Orlando. This has happened a couple different times, and I always say to shut my phone off. We come to Orlando, and we stayed at a Holiday Inn on Orange Blossom Trail. And across the street was Gary's Duck Inn. I remember Gary's Duck Inn. The first meal I had was at Gary's Duck Inn. Now, Owned by uh, Charlie Woodsby, right? Charlie Talk Woodsby, of the Bill Woods, and uh, Bill Darden. The guys who formed Olive Garden and Red Lobster yeah. in the uh, largest restaurant chain in America. Right. Now, uh, cute story about Gary. Gary was from Waycross, Georgia, and he had a restaurant up there called the Green Frog Inn. So he decided to come to Orlando and open up... Uh, a restaurant, but he didn't want. To, he said, "Green Frog wouldn't, wasn't a good name." So he called it Gary's, and people used to, a little shack on the side of the road, and people used to go there and they would they'd stop in, they'd drop in for a beer. Mm -hmm. So it started it suddenly started being called Gary's Duck Inn. They duck in for a beer, and uh, the three. So the Gary Mills that originally owned it. He got old, he sold it out to the three partners, Charlie Woodsby, Bill Darden, and Bill Woods. And that's a whole different story, but that's Olive Garden, Red Lobster, and which is so now they, big chain. When they decided to expand, they opened the restaurant in Lakeland. They didn't want to, they said, Gary's done a good name. We'll call it Red Lobster. And then they, so they opened it up, and then later on they, they opened up they wanted to open an Italian restaurant, so they opened up one on International Drive called the Green Frog Inn. So I was at the grand opening, and I told the manager, I said, that's a terrible name. It not, doesn't sound like a place I'd want to go eat. So the manager said, I agree. And the next day, they changed it to Olive Garden. That's how Olive Garden got it. I don't know. If I had anything to do with it, but I'd like to think I did. But that's it. So tell us the story of Westgate. Okay. So I come up broke, but I'm great at selling land. And within the next five years, I sold out the subdivision. 
I went I went to I went I went to the people that owned the property and I said I'm running out of property I need you know they had more property but they weren't giving it to me and I said why aren't you giving me more inventory I'm selling it all out and they said well because we have a company in Mexico that has 26 offices and they say that they're going to sell out the remainder and then they, we have another subdivision we want to take care of them and I said I'm I'm the one that brought you to the dance and you're and you're you're not taking care of me so I went to work I quit and I went to work for a company directly opposite uh, Caddy Corner to this property, and they had a couple thousand acres, same type of land, just pasture, orange trees. I went to work for them, and I sold their property out. And uh, when we're getting low, I said, I need more inventory. And the president of the company said, didn't you uh, used to be in the TV business? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I'll tell you what. You get me a Zenith stereo theater uh, TV. It's about 12 feet long, big cabinet with record player and AM, mm -hmm. FM and all. And I'll get you more inventory. I had to bribe him to get more inventory. And I, I was pissed off. So I, I did it, and he gave me more inventory. But I said, you know, the last company I made wealthy screwed me. This company I made wealthy, bribe, I have to bribe them. And so one day, I had a bad feeling in my mind. So one day, I get a call, and I, had a, I, I ran an ad in the paper every day, three-line ad. Uh, acre and a quarter tracks for sale, uh, 69.95, 10% down, 10-year uh, fine terms. Call David Siegel on my phone number, and I, I worked out of my house, and I stayed home, and the phone would ring, and I would make appointment. Sometimes I brought the people over to the house. Sometimes they, I went to the motel. Anyway, I took them to the Disney. Uh, preview center and uh, sometimes when I didn't have a customer I would go down to the preview center and, and scout uh, out customers and I would I'd see people standing there they had a big rock that said uh, preview center with Disney logo and people would take a picture in front of the rock with well, a husband and wife or family we're trying to take a picture. I stood in front of the rock. I said, "Here, let me, let me take your picture," and they would, so they would let me take their picture, and they and I'd say, "Where are you from?" And, you know, they tell me, and then ultimately they say, "And what do you do?" And I'd say, "I sell investment property right nearby," and I'd get I'd talk them into going taking it. I never missed a sale. I mean, it was like. Because of what Disney, you know, they're already hyped up at what Disney's doing. Mm -hmm. And then just down the road, uh, I take them to the property, and and I had a, I had a, a, a 
page out of a Florida Trend magazine about a, a property in South Florida the, at a major intersection, before and after pictures. And the, and the before was just two roads and nothing. And then I'd fold it in half. I'd say, this is what the property looks like now. And it looked just like the property. I'd flip it over and then you would see it's completely developed with shopping centers and apartments and hotels and, I mean, you know, before and after. And then they could visualize, wow, now we, we see what's going to happen. And I would show them that. And I, I sold probably nine out of ten people at that. So how'd you get in the timeshare? So I get a call. I get a, I, I'm not in timeshare for 10 years yet. I get a, <laughs> I, I get a call uh, from this real estate woman. Her name was Irene Scarborough and she had a, she had a old time realtor on Colonial Drive and she had a real estate office. She called me and she said, I'm interested in that property you're advertising. And uh, I show it, I didn't take her to it, I just showed her a map. And she said, well, I've got a brochure on a piece of property in that area. You're asking 5,000 an acre, but I got a brochure on a piece of property for $500 an acre. And, uh, so I, I look at her brochure and I said, oh, I know that property is all underwater. She said, oh, that's why it's so cheap. And so she buys, she said, well, I'm gonna buy two, two of your parcels. So she goes to, to get her check and I reach on her desk and I pick up the brochure and I fold it up and I put it in my pocket. And as soon as I leave her office, I call the broker on the brochure. This is a uh, Thursday afternoon. I call him, I make an appointment to meet him Friday morning at the property. Mm -hmm. And I go down there, the property looked like a golf course. It was beautiful, $500 an acre. And I know I could sell the hell out of it. So, uh, except I have no money. I'm, I'm banking sales, but I'm supporting two families. Plus, they only gave me a percentage of the down payment and, and a percentage of the monthly payments as they came mm -hmm. in. So I'm getting a, a, a good monthly income, but I don't, I don't have any money saved. So I go there and, and I really love the property. And I said, how much would it take to tie it up and the guy said um, uh, 25,000 I don't have 25,000 and I said well let me think about it and he said well you better think fast because I got a group from Miami is coming up to look at it 1280 acres and they're looking they're gonna come up and look at it uh, this afternoon and back then you used to carry your checkbook folded up in your back pocket. So I turned to my wife and said, oh, I had my wife with me too. And I said, uh, 
do you have your checkbook? She said, yeah. I said, well, write a check for 25000 So she writes out a check. She kind of whispered me, you know, we don't have 25000 <laughs> I said, don't worry about it. So on, uh, my ears bother on, so we write the check and we tie it up. And got 30 days to close. 30 days I got to come up with uh, $600,000. Or wait, well, I had to come up with 300000 in 30 days. Then uh, the rest they were going to finance. So you, you, so we worry about it all day Saturday. Finally, by Saturday night, we said, you know, we're not going to find $25,000 to cover that. I'm going to have to call the broker and tell him the checks go bounce. So Sunday morning we get up and we decide we're going to go to we're going to go to this. Hold on. Does he have to do right there? So, right, so Sunday so, morning we get up and we're going to go to this buffet restaurant called Hostess House on Oak Ridge Road and Orange Blossom Trail for, for a brunch and you know, just not worry about it anymore. So we pull up and there's some tour buses in the parking lot and we pull up and there's all, there's two tour buses and there's all these crazy people. I mean, it's hot as hell and they're in double knit striped suits with big uh, uh, jeweled American flag lapels. And so I'm curious, so I go to one of them, and I said, who are you people? And they're jumping up and down, and they're like, like they just got out of a, a insane asylum. And the guy said, well, I can't tell you, but if you want to find out, get on the bus. And these buses could have been going to Canada. I had no idea. I turned to my wife and I said, you want to go? She said, okay. So we jump on the bus with them. We had no idea where they were going. And they take us to a 200,000 square foot warehouse uh, near uh, Sand Lake Road and International Drive. It's a place called Coscot, Cosmetics of the Future. So this- Isn't that Glenn Turner? Glenn Turner. So this, so this crazy, Eighth grade dropout from uh, South Carolina. With a hair lip. With a hair lip and a speech impediment. His father never made more than $500 a year as a sharecropper. One day, one day his uh, sewing machine salesman comes to their house and sells his mother a sewing machine. And Glenn said, hell, I could do that. And he, with a eighth grade dropout, hair lip, uh, speech impediment, he he uh -huh, yeah, like it, it took you 30 minutes to just to tune into what he was saying. He he starts selling uh, sewing machines and becomes the number one sewing machine salesman for Singer or whatever company it was. And then he heard about cosmetics made from mink oil. 
and he came down to Orlando. He borrowed $200 from an uncle and he started this company. And uh, next thing you know, the guy's worth $200 million. He's and he was the, the rich, founder rich, of the pyramid scheme. He's one of the richest men in Orlando. And on each end of I-4, there was a big billboard that says, Glenn W. Turner welcomes you to Orlando. And he had all, all these recruits, and they were like the Rice brothers that were mid midgets that were do a lot of, well, they, one of them died, but the other one does ads for, for uh, 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 company, exterminator companies. And uh, then he had a blind guy named Dick Mailman that used to work in an olive factory picking olive pits out of olives. <laughs> but they would, they would always buy a Cadillac, well, finance it, pull into a gas station. That's when they filled up your car. And guy would come out and say, wow, you got a nice car. And they'd say, well, you could drive one like this too. All you have to do is come up with 5000 dollars and we'll put you in business and so they they didn't sell a lot of product but they sold a lot of people and they and they became huge and in fact at one point Glenn Turner was thinking of running for president because everywhere he went he would draw big crowds and had his own plane and he he hired F. Lee Bailey to run his helicopter company. And, and he was building a castle in Orlando. And he built a castle, right. He was building, you you know, he built this castle up in uh, uh, Longwood. And on Bear Gully Lake. On Bear Lake, right. I was there many times. So anyway, so they, we, they take me to this building and for, this is like 12 o'clock and for the next six hours, I sat in a room with about 50 other people listening to, to every uh, uh, motivator, motivation speaker telling about if you can dream it, you can achieve it. And, and by six o'clock, then uh, the midgets jumped up on the table and started pitching and the blind guy. And you call them little people today. <laughs> Little people. But they were, everybody called midgets back they then. They were dwarfs or whatever. And so uh, by six o'clock, I am so pumped up. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I'm, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up. I'm going to put on my only suit. And I'm going to go to every bank in town to, like, find the money. So I get up and I go to all you know, Sun Bank and, and I got all the banks and I got three invitations for lunch, but no money. And I went to every bank downtown and I finally, after being turned down, I don't know, seven or eight times, I again got depressed and I said, well, I'm just not going to get the money. And I'm driving home down Orange Avenue and I get to Michigan and the light turns red. And so I'm looking over to my left and I see a sunbank in a little shopping center. I said, well, what have I got to lose? You know, 
Oh, and I pull up there. It's uh, 1.30 in the afternoon. Banks close at 2 o'clock. And I walk in and I meet with the manager of the bank. I tell him my story. And he said, I like you. I'm going to take a chance on you. I had no, no account in the bank right and I said, well, you got to get it in right away because I got to check the bounce by <laughs> two o'clock if the money went. Covered the check. I now have the property tied up for 30 days until I have to come up with 300000 Well, when I was in, so now I, I start traveling around the state and I'm offering half of my profits, anybody that will give me the, Three hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. I'll give him half the profit in the on the profit. I have projected the profit was going to be two to three million. So I'm willing. Give me three hundred thousand. I'll. I'm going to give you a million dollars for your trouble. I meet with people, all over. I can't find it. Twenty-eight days goes by. I got a, two days left to close. I get an. I get a call. From a, a couple guys that had a construction company in Miami that I used to do antenna systems for when I was in the TV business, they could just happen to call me up at and talk to them in a couple of years. They said, "Just want to call you up and see how you're doing." I'm talking a long time. They actually invited me to the 1968 Super Bowl when. Joe Namath guaranteed that the Jets were going to beat the Baltimore Colts. Mm-hmm. They were 17-point underdogs, and he guaranteed it, and they did beat them. They invited me to that game. Anyway, uh, I, they said, what's going on? Do you have any good investments? I thought, I got the best investment you'll ever see. And so I told them about it. I said, but you got to come up tomorrow. And so they flew up. And they, I convinced them to give me the, lend me the three hundred thousand, and then in fact they even stayed for the closing. The next day we closed on the property, mm-hmm. and they all they and they said we don't, we don't want your million dollars, we want you to give us back six hundred thousand. You give us, we'll give you three hundred thousand. You give double our money, and we want it back in two years. I said fine, that's even. Better deal than I was offering. Well, make a long story short, I closed on the property, and that remember that company from Mexico that had twenty six off. Right. I hired them to hire to sell my property, and within two years. Well, I, let me say this: within that was that was nineteen seventy. 71 by 19 or so I came up in 70 about 1971 within by 1975 I I had sold the property I had bought 80 acres next to Disney which became Westgate I I owned two apartment complexes I owned the Angebilt Hotel and the Lakeland Terrace Hotel in Lakeland and I built the mystery fun house. So uh, so by 1971, I was broke. 
1975, I was thinking about retiring. Did you make it all off that piece of property? Made it all, I made $3 million off that piece of property. And then that enabled me to buy the apartment complexes and, the, and buy the hotels. And it just like goes, I like I bought the I bought the Angeville Hotel for two hundred thousand dollars. I remember the Angeville downtown. And I sold it for three million. So it just tells you you got to go out on a limb sometimes to to make money in these real estate so, transactions. So by nineteen seventy five, as I said, I had two apartment complexes, two hotels, money in the bank, eighty acres next to Disney, uh, and I'm I'm ready to retire. I got. I got a million dollars a year income coming in from uh, f f 500,000 from the Mystery Fund House and 100,000 from each apartment and 100,000 from each hotel. I got a, and 100,000 from the orange grove. I'm, I'm growing oranges. And I'm, 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 con I'm perfectly content. I'm like semi-retired and 1980, I get a call, guy says, I wanna buy 20 acres, I'm sorry, 10 acres of your orange grove. He said, I'm gonna timeshare it. And I said, what's that? And he said, timeshare resorts. And he explains the concept to me, and I fell in love with the concept, and I decided not to sell the property. I'm gonna build my own timeshare. But I'm gonna build 16 villas in the back of the orange grove and so that if it fails nobody will know about it and so i had a little sinkhole that i had a farmer named mush from kissimmee came over and dug it out made a little lake out of it and i built 16 units on it and i thought where am i going to find 832 customers to sell to all those weeks off sell those weeks and that today, that 16 units is now 14,000. It's still on the same property? I have 500,000 owners. No, it's all over the country. How did you come up with the name Westgate? Our property was one mile west of Disney's main entrance gate. So, so I, I see I hear your cup. Westgate. Westgate. And so now today you have how many customers? I have 500,000 owners at uh, 14,000 villas at 28 uh, properties. 28 properties, 500,000 owners. And we're the largest privately owned timeshare company in the world. And maybe another time, because we've, we've done this for a long time, but another time we could talk about 2008 how tough that was but oh yeah you you know the one thing about it's a long story but it's a great story to see how much grit you've had to have in your life to get there and take risk let oh. me tell you there's just like right now in today's covid world we just broke ground on our billion dollar o-town project but it's a risk i know i have to take that i know in 2022 will be good but you've got to take those risks i mean it's a risky deal but it, it's profitable and in hard times like this it's it's guys like us who survive who do really well coming out of it. Well, but it's hard. Look, I could have I could have uh, lost my twenty five thousand. I could have my check could have bounced. I could have lost it. I could have lost. Uh, I could never ended up buying a property. I mean, every you have to have a lot of luck, you know. 
but, but being luck, successful. But luck comes with taking risk, and taking, taking risk. good risk comes with hard work. And hard work. The luckier you know, you heard the luckier. You create your own. The life. harder I, the harder I work, the luckier I get. You, you gotta. But but it's great for people who read, hear these things to, to realize. Yeah, every time I write a big check, you know, you may if, never see that money come my, back. If my store had not been firebombed, if I had not been drafted into the armed force, I would never got my real estate license. I mean, all these things that happened to me along the way. I'll tell you. Had I had I not gone to work for that company that was owned by a guy named Siegel, that his name been Jones, my whole life would have been different. I'll tell you a quick story. I was building houses, custom homes, and this is going back about 22 years ago. I was building custom homes. I was building one of the larger custom homes in Heathrow Woods. And, and um, I built this house, I paid cash for it, and I sold it to a guy. And um, the guy put a down payment on it, and then he didn't close on it, and he sues me, telling me I was charging him too much money. I had all my cash tied up in this house. And I, got, I go to court, and we're fighting and fighting, and we go in and the judge says, one of you are gonna walk out very unhappy. And Anyhow, we walk out. I said to the guy, look, you never deposit back, but I'm not going to, he wanted a huge discount on the house, like 50%. But it was so troubling for me, I decided to get out of the home building business. And at the time, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was making, you know, 27 years ago, I was making 350000 a year building houses. A lot of money. And I thought, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to quit this career. I want to do something else that's not emotional. And I got in the development business. And today we've done over, three billion dollars of development but you got to take a chance though and when that one door closes another yeah. door opens and you take the risk and, and like like you said everything happens for a reason and had, i believe in that had that guy in, if you hadn't had a problem you'd have still been in the I home building and you know when i got out of the stucco and drywall business uh, you know i got out of that because home builders wouldn't pay me it was a time where you're going through another recession home builders couldn't pay me and i thought oh, when i was stuck with drywall business i want to create my own destiny so i started building houses how did you get houses drywall business? Uh, that's a i'll tell you that quick story <clears throat> so when i was a teenager i used to dj at the skating rink and huh. then i dj'd at nightclubs and i wanted to open my own i thought everybody goes to the skating rink there's got to be something else so i opened a teenage nightclub and the teenage nightclub is in castleberry and uh, it was called Odyssey Young Adult Club. Remember the, uh, oh God, what's the name of it? Uh, the one on Lee Road? Uh, 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 yeah, uh, Park Avenue. No. What, oh, uh, yeah, it, it became J.J. Whispers. J.J. Whispers. And, and I DJed at J.J. Whispers. Did you really? And so I opened this uh, Odyssey Young Adult Club and open up, it's doing real well, I make money. I have these guys come to me and say, hey, why don't you invest some money, and I think it was 20000 at the time, in us with the stucco drywall business. Well, we managed to lose a hundred grand our first year, and we were a hundred grand in debt. And I said, you guys get out of the business, let me just run it. And a year later, I had 110 employees, and <laughs> I was doing a million plus dollars a year, a million and a half dollars a year, making good money with the business. And then I decided just to, to go on to the next level, become a builder. I got my general contractor's license, build houses, then in the development business. So, yeah, I've so, got a similar story. So, so I have my, my personal doctor, and he has a clinic on 
over on uh, Vineland Road, family physician or something. And he, one day he says, I'm going to open a nightclub. Do you want to be an investor? And I said, no, I don't want to be an investor in a nightclub. And he's going to call it J.J. Whispers. And so he and a guy named John, uh, oh, God, I don't my memories. I forgot his partner with John Brown, John Brown. You know Dana Brown? I don't remember. Dana Brown's very active in the area. She had, she has a, like she's involved in outdoor flea markets and stuff. And uh, so that's his daughter. So, so it was Jock Snedden, who was the doctor, and John Brown, the JJ, that's where JJ came. Oh, okay. So they open up and I, and I go to the opening and the place is that you, as you remember, it's packed. huge and packed. And at that time, I had the Mystery Funhouse, and I had game machines. So I got so I made a deal with them to uh, for me to put in a game room. I figured it could you know cap the market. So I built a big game room there, and uh, and I'm I'm making a little bit of money. And the place is doing great. And one night, my wife and I, my ex-wife and I, go there, and we see John, John Brown. He used to go there in a white tuxedo, and we see him with his, and his head is laying on the on the bar. We said, John, are you okay? And he said, Yeah. He said, But uh, he said, and I don't know if this should, I should say this. Well, oh, well, they can always cut it. I, I said, John, are you all right? He said, yeah. He said, but I can't work all day and screw these bartenders all night. He said, I'm just, just too much. <laughs> and I was, oh, he laughed and all, and we went on. So then the next year, they close. And they come to me and they say, would you like to buy? And I'm, you know, I've been there a lot from the game. Would you like to buy the place? And they were going to offer me this very low, low price for it. And so I go home and I tell my wife, I said, I said, hey, I have an opportunity to buy J.J. Whistler's. And she said, no, you don't. She said, I remember what John Brown told us that night. <laughs> she wouldn't let me buy it. I, was, I, was, I wanted to buy it. But she, the, the nightclub business is a hard business to have a marriage with. But, but Dave, David, uh, I appreciate all your stories. They're great stories. I know people are going to love listening to them. And uh, congratulations on your journey. Hey. Thank you for all you do for my kids. Oh, you got great kids. My God, they're, I feel like they're on a constant vacation. Yeah, it's, uh, they're, they're not going to go through uh, the efforts we went through. <laughs> so, well, anyhow, this is the David Siegel Chuck Chat. Hope you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.